Are you trying to squeeze the starting solid food stuff into your already busy schedule? Well, I have an all-in-one done-for-you solution that's going to take the guesswork out of feeding your baby. My online program is called Baby Led Weaning with Katie Ferraro. It contains all of my baby led weaning training videos, the original 100 First Foods content library, plus a 100-day meal plan with recipes like the exact sequence of which foods to feed in which order. So if you want to stop trying to piece all this feeding stuff together on your own, I would be honored if you would join me inside of the program. You can get signed up at babyledweaning.co slash program. Checking in about food allergies and introducing allergenic foods. And have you done peanut with your baby yet? Well, intact nuts and thick globs of nut butters like peanut butter are choking hazards for babies, but we want to get that peanut protein into your baby early and often in order to help lower the risk of peanut allergy down the road. My absolute favorite way to introduce peanuts for babies is using the Puffworks Baby Peanut Puffs. So When you hear puffs, like you're probably like, oh, those starchy little puff things. Like, no, no, no. Not the little ones that earlier eaters can't pick up. Those kind of crappy puffs from the store that have added sugar and refined grains and lots of salt. Uh uh. The Puffworks baby peanut puffs have no added sugar. They have just a smidge of sodium for preservatives, and they are the perfect size for baby led weaning. They're about the size of your adult pinky finger. So, you can, baby can pick them up, self-feed them, but they're so soft that they dissolve in your baby's mouth so you can introduce these peanut puffs even before your baby has teeth. Puffworks also makes a baby almond puff for the safe introduction of a separate allergenic food category. That's tree nuts. And now, finally, Puffworks put out a combo case. So it's half baby peanut and half baby almond. So if you want to grab one case, then you can knock out two new allergenic foods. We do these on different days, though. These are just the no-stress, low-mess way to get peanut and tree nut out of the way. So you can get 15% off everything at puffworks.com when you use the affiliate discount code BLWPOD. That's a new code. It's BLWPOD. Use that sucker at checkout at puffworks.com and get peanut and tree nut safely out of the way. If we had the resources and knowledge that I have today that children should be leading the way that it should be a positive experience i do not believe that their feeding issues would be as severe as they became and in that light will right so he knows immediately but when something doesn't make him feel well within 30 minutes of eating it even though every test may say you're not allergic to donuts i'm telling you when the kid eats a donut he pays for it and he does not feel well But for so many years, their intuition was squashed out. Hey there, I'm Katie Ferraro, registered dietitian, college nutrition professor, and mom of seven specializing in baby led weaning. Here on the Baby Led Weaning Made Easy podcast, I help you strip out all of the noise and nonsense about feeding, leaving you with the confidence and knowledge you need to give your baby a safe start to solid foods using baby led weaning. Picture this, you're pregnant with triplets, they're born four months prematurely, and then they will not and cannot eat. This was the reality for my guest, Shannon Goldwater, a new mom who with every effort to get her triplet babies to eat, they would end up gagging and choking and retching. They were aspirating, vomiting, and eventually all three of her babies required feeding tubes for their nutrition. Shannon's journey to help get her children to eat led her to five different inpatient feeding programs across the United States, at which point she became very well aware 
of the incredibly disjointed way in which pediatric feeding challenges get treated or, in many cases, mistreated in this country. So this is the first of a two-part interview with Shannon Goldwater, who went on to found the organization known today as Feeding Matters. So Feeding Matters is the first organization in the world that unites families and healthcare providers to improve the system of caring for children with what is now known as pediatric feeding disorder. And that term, she's going to talk a little bit about it today because it only exists because of her organization and their work. So Feeding Matters was responsible for the universally recognized diagnosis that now is pediatric feeding disorder. And because of her work and advocacy, pediatric feeding struggles are now treated as a symptom to over 300 other conditions such as autism, cerebral palsy, and cystic fibrosis. So in this first part of the interview, Shannon shares her own personal story of struggling to figure out why her triplet babies would not and could not eat. And usually, you know, when you interview someone, it's like five minutes of, give me some of your backstory, tell us where you're coming from, and then what's your thing? Like, when we sat down for this interview, and once Shannon got going and she starts sharing literally this heart-wrenching saga, it, like, it would not end, it kept going. I was like, oh my gosh, this poor mom. Her feeding struggles, they're spanning like a decade at this point. I was like, okay, hang on, we need to break this into two episodes. So the first episode here is about Shannon's personal story, which is so important for understanding the framework of what pediatric feeding challenges looked like before her organization, Feeding Matters, came onto the scene, and then what it looks like now that they've achieved its universal diagnosis for pediatric feeding disorder. In the next episode, we're going to talk more about the formation of the organization Feeding Matters, a lot about their advocacy and the work that they've done and continue to do to get pediatric feeding challenges recognized by and funded by, and you know, we're talking a little about the money and where it comes from, because the larger medical community is slowly starting to recognize, oh my gosh, this is a symptom for over 300 different conditions. I mentioned autism, cerebral palsy, cystic fibrosis. So with no further ado, I want to introduce you to one of the most inspiring people in the entire world of infant feeding, Shannon Goldwater, the founder of Feeding Matters. Thank you for having me. Before we started recording, you were telling me a quick story. Can you tell our listeners about your horse ride today and who you met and how it went down? Yes, absolutely. So I was out on a trail ride today with some ladies and we were talking and one of the ladies was talking about her granddaughters, twins who are 10 months old. And she started telling the group about your organization and baby led weaning and feeding. And it was just, I said, are you kidding me? I said, I, I'm meeting with this organization today, uh, meeting Katie. And uh, she said, well, my daughter just loves it and all of her friends watch. And at first I was a little apprehensive because it's so different from what I did with my twins, which is their mother now, uh, when they were young. But she said, it's just amazing to see them thriving and, and the variety of foods that they eat and how helpful your podcast and the information you share has been not only to her daughter, but to her as a grandma. Well, I think it's funny talking to Shannon Goldwater, who founded one of the most amazing organizations, Feeding Matters, that someone would refer to us as an organization. It's me, I have one other dietitian, and I have one gal that helps us. And the three of us do all of this content. So like the fact that like the grandma on the horse trail, like it's trickling down and people are hearing about baby led weaning and learning about it. And I know we were kind of chatting about how sometimes like you know, like I said, how did grandma feel about it at first? And you're like, ah, oh, she was like kind of on the fence. But then when you see how many foods these babies can feed themselves, I love when we hear the grandparent like turnaround success stories because it really makes their life easier too. Like 
my parents have 20 grandkids, half of whom did baby led weaning and half of whom didn't. And they're all a little bit older now too. But my mom always said it was so much easier to feed the baby led weaning babies when they come over because I didn't have to make any special food for them. I was just going to tell you, that's what she said. She said, it's amazing. They eat everything we eat. She said, obviously in much smaller sizes and sometimes different textures, but it's just unbelievable to me. Well, as you know, what you're doing is working. Well, thank you. Helping people. This podcast is turning a love fest, but like I am such a huge fan of the work that you and your team have done at Feeding Matters over the years. I'm so inspired by your story. Could you share with us how you came to be involved in the work that you do and pediatric feeding disorders? Yes, absolutely. So almost 21 years ago now, May 25th, it'll be 21 years. I had triplets that were born at 26 weeks by just four hours, weighing one pound, four, five, and six ounces at birth. And to be honest, you know, we were really worried about them uh, walking or talking and what their quality of life would be. You know, they had brain bleeds and sepsis and heart murmurs and just everything that goes along with being a micro preemie. And those first four months in the NICU were really terrifying, overwhelming. And when we went home, I really thought that we were now bringing home while they were technically four months old developmentally, you know, it was like bringing home a newborn, you know, so they were around five pounds when they started coming home. But within just four weeks of them being home, feeding them just started to completely fall apart. And when I tell you fall apart, I mean, constant vomiting, crying, screaming, arching, you would spend 30 minutes feeding them a two ounce little NICU bottle and they would open their mouth and just everything would just pour out of their mouth, similar to a glass of milk, you know, being knocked over and, it, you know, times three, it was very, very, very deflating. And I was going to the pediatrician and they were growing, but I had a lot of support. You know, both my parents were here uh, and live in Arizona. My husband's family is here and we're all native of Arizona. So I had a lot of support and I, we had hired um, one of the nurses that we met in the NICU to help us. And uh, as that help started to wean, so did my ability to feed them. And so then I really started to feel like a failure, like, well, the nurse can get them to eat. Why can't I get them to eat? And it always seemed like they would only eat when they were sleeping and they weren't aware of what was going on. And it just was incredibly stressful. And so I was going to the pediatrician and, you know, you don't know what you don't know as a first time mother. And so I am a person who wakes up at breakfast thinking about dinner. So to me, my whole world revolves around food. And I just, I quite frankly have an unhealthy relationship with food in that I live to eat instead of eating to live. Right. And so not being able to nurture my children and have it be a positive experience was just completely devastating. And I would go to the doctor and he'd say, well, what you're doing is obviously working because they're growing. And I think you're being overreactive. Oh, and use that word. Overreactive. Like, cringing right now and have goosebumps for you. So it came to a head where I finally said, well, then I want you to feed them. And so, you know, obviously they were unsuccessful at feeding them in the pediatric office. So they made a referral to a speech path and the speech path who came to my house, bless her, um, was not a pediatric feeding specialist, did not have any training. And she just started trying to feed my four month olds pureed food, which then started them gagging. And so I think she quickly realized that she was in over her head and referred me to a woman who 
was a wonderful pediatric feeding therapist. And she immediately reached out to my pediatrician and said, these kids, I believe, are all aspirating their lungs and uh, this is a high risk and need to be immediately readmitted to the hospital. So that is when we found out that they were all aspirating their lungs, that none of them were safe to be eating, that eating was very painful. So they put in NG tubes and that eventually led to G tubes, which then led to fundoplications for two of my children because the vomiting, even with the tube, they could not stop vomiting. And then what I didn't know about a fundoplication at the time is while it takes away the ability to vomit, it certainly doesn't take away the urge. And so I had these kids that just did not feel well. And so the journey began. I went to a total of five different feeding programs throughout the United States. And what I found very quickly was, wow, a program that works in in Baltimore uh, works for one child, does not work for the other. And then what's happening over in with K2Me in Colorado is very different and worked for one child, but didn't work for another. So, you know, these were intensive inpatient programs for the most part where I would move my family across the United States and they would be inpatient. And it was completely overwhelming, totally helpless feeling. And I think my biggest regret as a mother is believing that they needed to be fixed, that I really want to see the narrative change when a child does need help with feeding that may be severe enough to require a feeding tube, like my kids, that we use it the way that we use oxygen, that it becomes a means for having positive mealtimes that foster positive and meaningful relationships between parents and their children. Because what I had was just a complete nightmare. Not only did they dread eating, we all dread feeding them. They weren't not meeting developmental milestones. And why would they, if every time they ate, they were retching and gagging and choking violently from the tube feeding? Hey, we're going to take a quick break, but I'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. If you've been thinking about giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's a convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online experience. All you do is just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can also switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. I used to think therapy was just for people who have experienced major trauma, but therapy can help you be at your best no matter what you're going through. So whether it's to learn new positive coping skills, set more realistic boundaries, or just show up as a better version of yourself, BetterHelp is here to help. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can help you get there and BetterHelp can help you. Visit BetterHelp.com slash weaning today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash weaning and get 10% off your first month. And that's three out of three. Like this wasn't like one child. You were experiencing this with all of the triplets consistently. Yes, absolutely. And it just, I, again, really felt like I must be doing something wrong, right? Because they're four months old. They came home on bottles. At no point had anyone mentioned to me that there could be such a thing as them having difficulty eating beyond the NICU. I knew in the NICU, you know, there's this feed and grow stage and that's what they would call it. 
and then you are discharged home. But by no means did I know that, that this condition even existed. And so when they were around three and a half, I was at a feeding program in Richmond, Virginia. And to be quite frank with you, I really thought I was going to have a nervous breakdown. And uh, at the time, this is a very personal story for me, but I'll share. I had a lap band to help me losing weight. And I started getting very sick uh, with this lap band at this inpatient program at Children's Hospital of Richmond, Virginia. And I remember the psychologist on the team and I were talking and I mean, we started to think I was being psychologically affected by my kids um, because one day I could drink water and then the next day I couldn't and I would have excessive saliva and I would be very nauseous, just like my children. And morning was always the worst time. Same for me. So fast forward, they go through this program and unfortunately they were on some medication during the program. And when they came off the medication, they backslid 150%. And I had just spent four months of my life living in Richmond, Virginia, away from my husband. And it was just brought me to my knees, to be quite frank. And so it was at that moment that she shed some light for me and said, as difficult as this is, and I, I just thank her to this day, we know that when your children feel well, because when they were in that, on the medicine, it made them feel better and it couldn't be on the medicine long term. But we know that when they felt well, not only were they internally motivated to eat, but eating was much easier for them. And that this led her to believe that by no means was this behavioral and that we needed to go home and continue searching for why, you know, they were in so much pain and discomfort. Well, when I returned home, I also went to my own uh, bariatric doctor and guess what? I'd lost about 35 pounds. I was so thin, so sick. It turns out my band had slipped and my body was protecting itself just the way that I believe today my children were protecting themselves from the pain and discomfort that they were feeling when they were being pushed beyond their skill level, either due to texture or quantity, because they had trouble breathing, because it hurt when they swallowed because it hurt going to the bathroom. I mean, there were so many factors that I couldn't understand. And so like burning your hand on a stove, you know, my body was telling me the same thing, right? Something's wrong. Don't do that. Well, I had this band removed and what happened? I immediately went back to feeling good again. I gained back the 30 pounds and then some, and I went on with my life. And at that moment, I realized this is how my children feel. This is horrible. And there's no way you could have forced me to eat during this time. In fact, if it did anything, it pushed me further away from enjoying eating, right? When people would say you need to eat. And parents feel a lot of this pressure, even with typically developing children. You know, how many foods are they eating? What texture are they eating? Are they gaining enough weight? Is their brain going to thrive? It's, it's very terrifying even when there isn't a disruption to feeding. So that's when I said, I need to do something. And I changed my mission from trying to fix my children, if you will, to loving my children and trying to fix the system of care that was failing us. And I felt like I could do something good. I didn't know what that would be, but it's come to be this amazing organization, which is today known as Feeding Matters. So when the triplets came home at Four months. Well, how many weeks were they born at? I guess is my first question. 26 weeks by four hours. Well, these are 26 weekers 21 years ago. Yes. That's 
a medical miracle in and of itself. So then they come home at like basically their birthday, like, and they're right. when the first SLP who started force feeding solids on them when they were four months, is that four months adjusted age or was that their like chronological age. age? So they were literally like newborns almost. Correct. And I didn't know any better. Of course not. You just do what your caregiver tells you to do. Well, and not only that, I have to tell you, I'll take it even a step further. When my pediatrician said, okay, I'm going to refer you to speech pathologist. My first thought was, well, wait, they're not supposed to be talking yet. And a speech pathologist who doesn't specialize in infant feeding has no business feeding your babies. But I didn't know that. In fact, I didn't even know that at that time that pathologists were often leads in the care along with occupational therapists, depending on where you live in the U.S. And that's another thing that I realized, right, is that everybody had the best of intentions. Even these programs that I look back and I feel, quite frankly, are inhumane and are impossible for me even to watch the videos of what I was being taught and told to do. I can't watch the videos. But it's, I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you I have some dear friends from those same programs. Now their children have different conditions. They went through the same program and that program helped them. And so I really started understanding what was happening here. And that is that we don't have best practices. We don't have enough research and understanding. And this condition, which was not a condition at the time, other than failure to thrive, was being treated as a symptom of 400 other known conditions that a disruption to feeding is one of the symptoms. What I noticed from this, when I hear you talking, you're talking about an SLP coming, which is great. So often we've talked about this with every other feeding expert here. And I know Marsha Dunklein introduced us, and this is something we go off on a tangent all the time, but just how siloed feeding care is, especially in this country. And nowhere did you mention a registered dietitian who, by the way, should be part of the integrated feeding team. But when one of those people is in your house without the other people, there's no way she does not have this. It's not within her scope of practice to be talking to you about how many calories and how much protein your children need. And she wasn't trained in infant feeding. And I don't even know a polite and way to ask it, but like- I referred to Marsha Dunklein right, right here in my own state? Isn't that crazy? You went all the way why around the world and came back to Arizona state? to find Marsha. And you make a good point that what works for one family doesn't work for other families. But like, do you think that that forced feeding at their four month mark exacerbated these underlying conditions? No question about it. And so what happened is for the next year and a half, well, year actually, I was passed from therapist to therapist, provider to provider in silos, right? So no one's talking to anybody. So one person saying this and one person saying that. And I'll never forget when the GI doctor told me there were these things called feeding programs and they were inpatient. And at this point I said, oh my gosh, please, I need, I am desperate. Like I will do anything. I need help. I need someone to help me. So I call the two programs and here's what you're told. And, and granted, this is 21 years ago, but if you come to program A, you're going to have a team of people that will include all the domains, right? Skill and ability, the GI, the OT, speech, PT, the psychologist. And when your children leave, they will be eating and you'll be inpatient. And then I call program B and I'm told what I feel now is really the truth that feeding is more complicated than walking or talking, that you can't go to a program and take a process that takes two years, sometimes three, right? To go from breast to bottle to chewing and swallowing and independently eating foods on your own in two months or three months and that they would work with me and we would go at the child's pace. Well, 
I'm thinking, oh no, I can't do this anymore. I'm drowning. So I'm on the first plane to program B or A, excuse me, which was totally the wrong program for me because my children were in pain and they had no business eating. And so the months of forcing with the take a bite, good job taking your bite approach in a room of silence, not being able to wipe their nose. I mean, it's if you showed these videos to the general population, I have no doubt many would turn you in. Shannon, I went down a deep rabbit hole yesterday getting ready for this interview. And you're the only person in the world that can make me go to Facebook. And I watched a lot of videos of you from when they were little. And like, first of all, how did you have video of them like back in the day? That's amazing. But I was like, if we posted videos like this today, we would get kicked off the internet. It was, you were not abusing your childhood anyway. It was so painful to watch. And those children so clearly did not want to be eating. And I was like, I can't believe you even have video of it. They were in pain. They were absolutely in pain. And so those videos were because I was trying to send videos to the different feeding programs who were guiding me once I came home. But when I ultimately, when I came back to Arizona, I didn't have the support that I needed of a team and you're back into a siloed approach. And as time would go on, what I realized is that I was almost brainwashed in my own mind into believing that it was behavioral because they made a lot of progress at program A, but all that progress fell apart when we got home because guess what? One had to be fed outside, one had to be fed in the bathroom, and one had to be fed in the kitchen. That's six meals a day times three children, 18 meals a day of take a bite, good job taking your bite, good job swallowing, and they got 10 seconds of TV. I mean, it's completely insane looking back. And so I've done actually a recording about where does common sense fall in all of this? And I think a lot of times it goes out the window. And so I started working with Marsha years later and Suzanne Evans-Morris, who I'm sure you know, and I went to her program in the Blue Ridge Mountains and it was life-changing for me. And she had us send in a video of us feeding our children before we came. And I brought my occupational therapist with me and uh, we spent five days there. And afterward, she gave us a letter And she said, I don't want you to open and read my thoughts until you've rewatched your video now that you've been at my program for five days. So incredibly eye-opening. My kids were giving me every cue in the world that this didn't feel good. Hey, we're going to take a quick break, but I'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And you're just trying to keep them alive. Like I had quadruplets that could eat and I almost lost my, you know what, every single day just doing three meals. When you said 18 meals and the good bite and the TV, like, I don't even know how you're here to talk about this today. Like that is insane. So you watch that video when you're removed from it and you realize they're wincing in pain. Every bite, every swallow, you can tell. They're gagging, they're choking. If I had food poisoning, 
what on God's green earth would make you think that making me eat would make my food poisoning better? I mean, they're, they're communicating something to us that something is wrong. And I just knew initially that we needed to bring better service to Arizona and a better understanding. And that really was the start of a parent support group in my living room that over time has, you know, become this amazing organization that I'm so proud of that to answer your question, that's actually really the catalyst for pediatric feeding disorder. And a lot of people don't understand this, but it was in basically, I just felt that a standalone diagnosis and the absence of a universally accepted term was the root cause of the system that was failing my children and so many more because we were always treating a symptom instead of a disorder. And there was no comprehensive system in place that included collaborative care and qualified providers and proper insurance coverage or an educational path to become a qualified feeding therapist. So I went to what was a medical professional council for feeding matters at the time that we gathered and said, what do you think of this? And they said, oh my goodness, you're right. Absolutely. And the easiest way to share with your audience, what I'm talking about is that imagine that your child has a heart defect when they're born. And so they tell you it's not safe for them to eat and they're going to have a surgery when they're one. And so they go on to a feeding tube and then they come around to the age of one and they have a very successful heart surgery. And now it's safe to eat. And so they say, okay, well, what about feeding? And the cardiologist says, I don't know anything about feeding. I'm a, I'm a cardiologist. So where is the team, right? Where are the best practices? And what could we have been doing along the way to foster a path to oral motor acceptance in other ways, right? You understand this. And I guess my point being autism is another very good analogy of this. Autism used to be called schizophrenia and mothers were blamed and they, it was believed that they were cold to their children, refrigerator mothers. And that is why they did not look people in the eyes because they had bad mothers. Now, fast forward 40 years, obviously we know how incorrect that is. And I felt the same way about feeding. So it was these 17 medical professionals who served on our advisory team at the time who came together and approved the initiative to create a definition and an identity for what is today called uh, pediatric feeding disorder. And it's very serendipitous. It took us five years to successfully be the catalyst to the publication of the standalone definition and diagnosis of PFD um, that before us was really being dismissed as a symptom of a different problem. And so it's become a launching pad now for all of the work, not only that Feeding Matters is doing, but what medical professionals and providers can do. They can do a better job because of this diagnosis code. And it's written through the World Health Organization. So we service families and medical professionals all over the world, um, helping educate about PFD. When you came back from Virginia in the inpatient program, were they three and a half years old? Yes. First of all, I don't say, how do you have the means? But like you put your entire life on hold. I'm sure this is not what you had envisioned doing. And motherhood changes us in different ways and you never know what God has in store for you and so on and so forth. But like, this is 
three and a half years of dealing with this, and I know that didn't end then, you're traveling around the country going to different inpatient feeding programs. Was the Virginia one the last one that you're like, that's it, I'm going home. I'm going to feed these kids in a way that's comfortable for them. Like, was that kind of a breaking point for you? Yes, absolutely. And that's when that therapist said, we need to work on, and by the way, that was a behavioral driven program, but with a different approach, instead of psychologists doing it, actual OTs and speech paths were doing it and they were going very slowly and they were having children eat the right way. And they were very supportive of what a parent's voice was and how a parent felt about what they were being asked to do. So Dr. Betsy Clausen was part of that program at the time. And she is the one who encouraged me to go home and love and enjoy my children and use the tube and work on rebuilding my relationship with them. And that's exactly what I did. And that's when I met uh, Marsha Dunn-Klein and Suzanne Evans-Morris and so many more. And I spent the next five years focusing on my efforts on doing nothing more than rebuilding my relationship with my children so that they could come to the table without fear. They would could sit in front of food without choking for eight years. I just cannot express to you for eight years, there wasn't a single meal, a single day of our lives that one child wasn't choking, coughing, gagging, retching, screaming, or crying. Okay. It was unimaginable. You've been doing this for eight years now, Shannon. And I know I'm first of all, so excited because your daughter goes to TCU and I'm a TCU graduate. Like during college, they're eating real food. Am I assuming? I, I don't know their life story and I don't know how much you're comfortable sharing now, but can you fast forward? Like, how does it all end? Tell us. Yes. So I ended up going to Children's Hospital, Wisconsin when they were eight and a half, which I met through my work with Feeding Matters. And they worked with us for the next three years, uh, well, probably six years, but three for my daughter. And they were able to identify that she was using her tonsils to protect her airway and no amount of therapy was going to correct it. And so we removed her tonsils, knowing that if she couldn't protect her airway, she'd still be on a tube. And wouldn't you know it, she went from drinking three ounces a day with tears and forcing in six months and was internally motivated to drink and had her feeding to remove two weeks before her 10th birthday. And that's a whole nother story. But um, you know that you can be beating your head against a wall, right? It's that definition of insanity that uh, if, if what you're doing isn't working, we need to reevaluate, right? Not that you have to climb mountains rapidly, but it needs to be a positive you know, trajectory, right? So she gets her feeding tube out at 10. What's happening to the other two at 10 years of age? They're still retching terribly. And really just, we found out that also from Wisconsin, that one of my boys is a much better uh, drinker than he is eater. So eating is from an oral motor standpoint is very exhausting for him, but he can drink like, like a camel. And as he said it best at age 12, when he spoke at a Feeding Matters event, I think people waste a lot of time eating, but I can drink like a camel and he means it. So uh, he's almost 21 and he is still on his tube, but only for one tube feeding a day. And I see no reason why he won't eventually get that out, but also he needs it for some medication and to stay hydrated. He doesn't quite drink enough water. 
but he's well on his way. And if you met him and had dinner with him, you wouldn't know, right, that all that he'd been through and or that he even had a tube today. But he does still have his tube and he does use it daily. Uh, and then my son, Will, his identical twin brother, he had his feeding tube removed just before his 16th birthday. But carbs don't make him feel well. Okay, no, and he no, he probably knows his body best. What I was just going to say is everything that you're teaching the world, that our bodies are sophisticated. And what's happened in, in cases like mine, and I realized they had severe feeding issues. And I can't tell you that I think we would have avoided them altogether. But do I believe wholeheartedly if we'd had the resources and knowledge that I have today that children should be leading the way, that it should be a positive experience. I do not believe that their feeding issues would be as severe as they became. And in that light, Will, right? So he knows immediately, but when something doesn't make him feel well within 30 minutes of eating it, even though every test may say you're not allergic to donuts, I'm telling you when the kid eats a donut, he pays for it and he does not feel well. But for so many years, their intuition was squashed out, right? It was what we wanted, what I wanted, how many calories, how many bites, how many ounces, how many hours on the tube, when the tube would run. You People don't eat that way. Hey, we're going to take a quick break, but I'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. And so I can tell, Shannon, that your life story has so informed your work with Feeding Matters. And that's what we're going to tackle in the second part of this interview. Thank you so much for sharing your personal story. I'm inspired every time I hear it. I'm My jaw drops every time I hear it. You have dealt with so much. I can't believe you're still here today, but thank you for sharing your story with us. Oh, thank you for having me and giving me an opportunity to share and hopefully give people hope who may know someone or ever be dealing with this, that there is hope and there are resources like yours and beyond um, when there's difficulties. I am certain that those of you listening are as awestruck by Shannon's story and her saga and her journey as I am. And in the next interview, which will be episode 326, that's the next interview episode, Shannon is going to be taking us into the next chapter of her life where she starts to formalize her efforts to address pediatric feeding challenges through her work with the organization that eventually comes to be known as Feeding Matters. So I will link all of Shannon's Feeding Matters resources on the show notes page for this episode, which you can find at blwpodcast.com forward slash 324. I hope you'll join me in episode 326 for part two, where Shannon's going to be talking about pediatric feeding disorder and the role of Feeding Matters in bringing it to light. A special thank you to our partners at Airwave Media. If you like podcasts that feature food and science and using your brain, Airwave Media has some great podcast opportunities for you. We are online at blwpodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time. 
From the terrifying power of tornadoes to sizzling summer temperatures, AccuWeather Daily brings you the top trending weather-related story of the day, seven days a week. You can learn a lot in just a few minutes with stories about impending hurricanes, winter storms, or even what not to miss in the night sky. So listen and subscribe to AccuWeather Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's AccuWeather Daily wherever you get your podcasts.